And so uh, we've known Ken a long time. Most of you know Ken. Uh, for those who haven't been to the church very long, Ken goes back almost to the very beginning of the church with Pastor Stringer. He's a, a missionary at heart to Jewish people and has taken uh, a real love for the nation of Israel and for Jewish people and wants nothing more than to see the gospel presented to them and them to come to know the true Messiah. So, Ken, thanks. Thank you, Pastor. Toda. It's wonderful to be here today and to be able to open up the book, the Jewish book. It talks about a Jewish Savior that makes it possible for men and women, Jew or Gentile alike, to come to know Christ as Savior. I thank the Lord for the connection that we've had with this local assembly for many, many years, through beginning with Pastor Stringer and also Lorraine. And it's been wonderful to have the fellowship that we've had in Christ all these years. And little did I realize that uh, because I met him before uh, we had uh, coming up in New England, I met him on Block Island, Royal Island. I was speaking at his church there. And I remember those days and the times that we had in discussion of the Word of God as well. And so it starts way back there and then... There was a separation for a number of years, and then one day at the Burlington Church down there in Burlington, uh, we were back to back, and he turned around and said, I know you, I, I know your voice. And that's what renewed our acquaintance together again, and it's been like that ever since, since how wonderful for that relationship that we had with uh, each other. And uh, my wife and I are very thankful for this church and it's uh, strengthening our hands in order that we may be able to reach Jewish people with the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58. And what the Lord has laid on my heart is very interesting when we think of communion, when we think of the songs that we were singing about worthy is the lamb, uh, it goes along with what the Lord has laid on my heart. And in Isaiah chapter 58, it's very interesting that uh, what the Lord has to say here uh, in the scriptures. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. A lot of times when I greet Jewish people and I begin to talk with them and try to communicate the good news of salvation in Christ and that, they um, say to me, why do you always go to Jewish people? Because I've heard about you before, that you do a lot of that from Jewish homes and that. And I said, yeah, that's true. And I said, well, I'm fulfilling a biblical command. They said, what biblical command is that, that you're fulfilling? Well, here it is, Isaiah chapter 58, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like the shofar. You know, the shofar and the blaring, that for it makes a loud, loud noise. So we need to get it out clearly of the salvation we have. And notice it says, show my people their transgression. There's another reason uh, for going and working uh, with Jewish people is because they have transgressed against the Lord. In fact, if you'll go to Isaiah chapter 1, I want you to notice what the scripture has to say here. Uh, about the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2 will start. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, 
O earth. Notice, it's a message that the heavens need to hear, and also the earth needs to hear. For the Lord hath spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So the prophet Isaiah is showing the spiritual condition of his people, the people that he chose out from amongst all the nations of the world. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 6 and chapter 9, he talks about that, that he chose them out, that they were di different, they were selected, they're important to God, and they're precious to God. However, he said, I didn't choose you because that you could be the greatest uh, in yourself, but I loved you with an everlasting love. And how wonderful it is that God still has that same feeling toward the nation of Israel. But in Isaiah chapter 1 here, he said, they've rebelled against me. And in other words, that they've rejected the truths of the word of God. And you go on in this Isaiah chapter 1, you'll find, notice verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, and a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They've forsaken the Lord. They've provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They've gone away backward, not forward. See, they always say to me, why do you go to me? I don't ever go to you. And I also say to them, shame on you. See, again, why? You need to hear the word of God. That's why I'm coming to you, because God has laid it on my heart that you may turn to him. And you've gone away from God, not toward God. And that's very true today. Out of all Jewry all over the world, secular, humanistic, most of the Jewish people, except in Israel there is a percentage, about 11%, that do believe in God and that. But there's many that here in America and also in Israel and all over where they've been scattered, that they have a, a denial of who this true and living God is. And some, of course, tried to blame it on what has happened to them. Well, the very fact that it has happened to them, and when you connect what he says in the word of God, I love you with an everlasting love, and he goes on to say that when you are disobedient, I will punish you, I will chastise you. Leviticus, the 26th chapter, brings out about the chastisement of where he would be placing it upon them in that way, and it talks about them that uh, they would be scattered all over the world, there would be a byword amongst the nations of the world, and uh, their temple would be destroyed, they'd be scattered all over the face of the earth. The prophet Jeremiah called that earned judgment because they wouldn't go God's way. And so the prophet Isaiah here is showing to them right from the very beginning of his writings here that he is saying to them, from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, there's no soundness in you but bruises and putrefying sores. What a terrible condition, a spiritual condition, a relationship that's not toward God but away from God. And yet he says in Isaiah, sound the trumpet, lift up your voice and show my people their transgression and the house of Israel their need of you. And so the prophet Isaiah, by the way, it's very interesting. The book of Isaiah, you know what his name means? Salvation is of God. And he's beginning to write. But first of all, he has to deal with the condition of their hearts. And he starts out that way. And he goes on in Isaiah chapter 1, and he says here that they are children that have provoked the Holy One of Israel. Why do we need to go to them? Because they've turned away from God. They've gone backwards. 
and God brings it out. Yet in spite of this terrible sinful condition, how wonderful it is that in Isaiah chapter 2, he talks about how things will change when you put your trust in him. And in Isaiah chapter 2, it's quite interesting that he brings out in this chapter how outward changes will be. One of the most driving forces in the latter years of David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, and being brought back in the land in 1948, was Isaiah chapter 2. This was his chapter. I know because I talked with him personally about this chapter. And uh, it brings it out in here in Isaiah 2. Notice Isaiah 2 verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow unto it. Notice the nations that have been a Opposing Israel will have a change of heart and they will come up. They'll make their aliyah. There is going to be a change. And when will that be? When Israel finds the Lord, when they really come to know him as Savior. And notice uh, verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord, to the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. How wonderful it is. And then notice verse 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. And here is the favorite driving text of David Ben-Gurion in the last years of his life. Neither shall they learn war anymore at all. When he announced about the statehood in 48 in Tel Aviv, war immediately was be, uh, started in that particular area. And there is a day coming when Israel will realize that there can be a real shalom for us forever. So in Isaiah, he shows, first of all, the condition of the nation of Israel. That's why we need to go. We need to proclaim the word. And he said he would raise up men people that would help and assist Israel. And a lot of times I try to show them that that's exactly another thing that God has laid on my heart, that I should go and tell and proclaim to them about the Mashiach, the Messiah. And then, of course, uh, the prophet Isaiah not only talks about the, the condition of the nation of Israel, sinful, but that can be changed, that you can have real peace within your hearts and outward peace that you won't learn war anymore at all. And then he goes on and wonderful in Isaiah chapter 9. Notice what he has to say here in verse 6. Another interesting scripture that a lot of times that I bring out to the people that I'm talking to. And it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Here is a text the prophet Isaiah is projecting that there's one coming to the world that will be born. That speaks about his incarnation. And a son given. This is the beloved son of God. And that God is well pleased according to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42. And uh, it says here that uh, he's the child born, the son given. And notice the names that he has. The name is Hashem. And he says... The wonderful, only God could be wonderful. Remember Noah? 
Manoah and everything. It says God is wonderful. Only God. This child born, this son given is wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the El Gabor, the mighty God of Israel. He's the one that triumphed in, uh, in Exodus over the horse and his rider. This is the God that really has a relationship, wants a great intimate relation with the nation of Israel. Why go? Because God loves them with an everlasting love, and we should love them too. And then it goes on in this chapter, and it says here, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the last one is Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. When you go to Israel, you'll find that when you greet one another and when you end your time of conversation with them, it's always Shalom, Shalom. They use the word peace. According to the scriptures, though, you're to use this in a very sacred and precious way. He's the Sar Shalom. He's the Prince of Peace. And so is announced by Isaiah, who says, Salvation is of God. If you'll turn from your sins, I want you to know that I'll give you a real peace in your hearts that'll last forever if you'll put your trust in me. And so the prophet Isaiah brings it out. There's one to come into the world, a son. Now, it's quite interesting. It says a son. If you'll go with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, I want you to notice uh, in, in the scriptures that it's important. Does God really have a son? And according to the scriptures, Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verse 4, brings it out when it says, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the winds in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in his garment? And what is his name? And of course, to answer all those questions, who does all these things? It's only God. God is the only one that can do it. But then you notice also it says, and what is his what? Son's name. So in the Old Testament, God projects about one coming to the world that can change the hearts of people and bring about a real peace that will last forever in the Son. And God has projected in the scriptures that he has his Son. And he's come into the world. And then... In Psalms chapter 2, notice what it has to say here about the Son. Psalms chapter 2, and verse 1, it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Mashiach. Here is one that's coming into the world, that even though the nations rage at him and reject him, and everything. Yet he is the Messiah. And he says, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his soul displeasure. Now notice what he says here in this psalm. Yet have I set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, thou art my what? my son, and this day have I begotten thee. It is quite interesting that when you start out in the book of Genesis about God telling us about how creation came into existence, it's very interesting, something that many of us miss. Uh, I know because of the lack of understanding the language itself and understanding the letters of that language. But when you pursue it and you find out from even from the teachings of these old Jewish writers that taught uh, the scriptures and especially the book of Genesis that you'll find in the very first chapter that something is brought out by them that we miss 
You see, it says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you look at the word beginning, it's the Hebrew word bereshith. And it has letters that make up that word. And it starts out, and in the Talmud, it talks about what was in the beginning when God created the Hashemayim, the heavens, and edits the earth. And it tells us by the word, in the beginning, Elohim created bara, out of nothing. He makes the earth. And so therefore, the word Bedashith is a very interesting word because it's the origin of life and blessing that God would bless the earth in every way. So the rabbis started to look into the letters of the word that make up that word Bedashith. And they found that there was an interesting thing in the Talmud that in the heavens, somehow they got this related to the earth and to the rabbis, that the alphabet started to ask questions why its letter was not used to start the word Bedashith or beginning. And so Aleph asked God, why didn't you use my letter? And the answer to, came from heaven and said, because with your letter, it means we could curse as well. I cannot. I did not. I made it yam tov. I made it perfect. I made it beautiful. And so therefore, I couldn't use your letter. And then, of course, it went on and it used another letter and another letter. Finally, it came to the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, tav, T-A-V. By the way, you have a cross up there. If you look back into the languages of the earth, you'll find that this letter was the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Looked just like that, only on a slant like this. And it was a cross. The first, uh, the last letter today looks like an N, and at the lower part of it, on the right side, is a bar. That's the letter Tav today. But this letter right up here was really the letter Tav. And the cross finished it all for you and for me. Hallelujah. Praise his name because that's exact. But anyway, the letter Tav would be the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Coming back to the word Bedashith, it used the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is like a B. And, and of course, uh, it's the word Ben meaning sun. So in the beginning, what was there was the sun. That's the word Bedashi. In the origin of creation, it was the sun, the son of God that we read about in Psalms 2. The son of God that God says, I have a son in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. It's the son of God that came into the world to procure our salvation. And so therefore, what was in the beginning of bara creating was the son. The next letter is a resh. And the word resh is the word that we get ruach. It is the spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters. So what was in the beginning was the sun and the spirit. The next letter is aleph. That's the word abba. So what was in the beginning was the sun, the spirit, and the father. And then after that, you have a shin. Looks like a W. It's on your doorpost. It's supposed to be on our doorpost. 
and everything. And that's the name that represents God in the triunity of himself, the uniqueness of God. When it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And it's mentioned three times in reference to his unity. And it ends up by saying echad, meaning compound unity. So we find in the scriptures that uh, God had a son, and he procured the salvation. So what was in the beginning of creation was the son, the spirit, the father. And there are other, two other letters in there. And uh, those two other letters, it's very interesting, in the word Bedesheth is the word Baruch. It comes to be blessing. In other words, in the creation, in the blessing of creating the universe, it was God the Son and the Spirit of God and Abba the Father that brought the earth into existence and the Hashemayim, the heavens itself. In the beginning was God. And God, it's brought out in the scriptures. And this is something that I brought out to the Jewish people. And in fact, uh, when I go back to Israel, which is not too far hence, I'll be departing again, uh, going back there for witnessing and everything. I have two young men that I've been witnessing to, and uh, I kind of floored him in this last thing about using the Talmud. He said, you always use the Bible. Now you use the Talmud. I said, but you accept the Talmud, but you don't accept the Bible. So therefore, I start with something you accept. And I went on to say to him, look over this and everything. And he said, you stymied me, you stopped me. But you're coming again, right? I said, yeah, I'm coming again, Lord willing. He said, I'll have an answer for you. So when I get back, that's one of the things that I'll be discussing with this, uh, these two young men about the things of the Lord. But what I'm trying to bring out is God has exalted his son. And God says to the nation of Israel, you need to know this son. He's the child born. He's the son given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Then the prophet Isaiah goes on, and he not only talks about the sinful condition, and all that can be changed on earth, that the lamb and the lion will play together, and they won't learn war anymore at all. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. But the prophet also goes on and gives us something that's so important, and it brings us around what we've gathered together today. Will you go to Isaiah chapter 53, the 53rd chapter? This particular chapter to Judaism is a controversial chapter. Uh, this is in the past in some of their older Bibles that they deleted this one chapter from the Bible. And, of course, there was quite a discussion about that, about the canon of the scriptures, and why would you leave out Isaiah, the 53rd chapter? And they say because it's so controversial and we're not positive of what, who he is talking to, it is better to leave it out and discuss it in the day of the Mashiach, and he'll set it right. And if it's to be back in, then he'll put it back in. In the meantime, we will not discuss that chapter. However, a lot of missionaries like myself that work amongst the Jewish people always bring out about Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, this controversial chapter. It is quite interesting. Now, if you'll notice the setting of where Isaiah fits in to the book of Isaiah, you'll find something that's very important. And one of the things is, in Isaiah 52, I want to read this verse to you, what he says here uh, in the scripture. Verse 2. Shake thyself from the dust, arise, and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thy, 
thyself from the bands of thy, thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Notice how he addresses Israel as the daughter of Zion. Go to Isaiah chapter uh, 54, and you'll find uh, in this chapter, verse 6. I'll read verse 5. For thy maker is thine husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. Thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman, forsaken, and grieved in spirit, a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, saith the Lord. Notice in 52 of Isaiah and 54 of Isaiah, God dresses Israel as the woman. She's the wife of Jehovah. That's exactly. And then in between, sandwiched between it, we have this graphically pictured of a one suffering in a cruel, ignominious death of a cross that was far instituted before, was not instituted before. And we have Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And it starts out, who will believe this report? Who will really take it in and trust it with all your heart and with all your soul? Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Today, Israel has to still deal with this, even though they've deleted it from some of the old uh, books of, the, of uh, the Old Testament. And so there, therefore, they found an answer, they believe. You see, in Isaiah, God has a servant. And in I hold your hand there in 53 and go to Isaiah 45. And I want you to notice what he says here. Uh, to the nation of Israel, Isaiah chapter 45. And I want you to notice verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have called thee by thy name, and I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Here you'll see that God selected out from the nations of the world one that he wanted to use. And the purpose of it is very obvious in, in this text here that he wanted to use them to be witnesses for the Lord. And uh, they utterly failed in this task, of course. But nevertheless, uh, we find here uh, in, in the scriptures that God talks about Jacob as being a servant, a shamish. They have now attached to Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, that the whole chapter is graphically picturing the righteous Jews that suffered, like in the Holocaust and the Inquisitions and all of that. They're saying that this is a reference to them. But that is not so, because as I already told you, it's masculine gender in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. But in the 51st, a second chapter, it is feminine gender. 54th chapter, it is feminine gender because it's not talking about the one. Israel is a servant of the Lord, and God wanted to use them, and he did use them, and he even used them even today. But nevertheless, it's not really that servant that he's talking about in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. He's talking about one that suffers a terrible uh, death on the cross. And also the judgment of it, going before um, the, the Jewish people and being judged for who he is and everything. So Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, is talking about Mashiach. How do I know that? 
Well, go to Isaiah chapter 49, and I want you to notice in Isaiah chapter 49, and I want to uh, read uh, verse 5 of Isaiah 49. And now saith the Lord that formed thee, me from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not be not gathered, yet I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Now notice in verse 6, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. And I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the world. In other words, God wanted to use this nation. And one thing that in order for redemption for mankind, for the whole world, that through the nation of Israel, God would send the Messiah that would be, as it says in Isaiah chapter 7, Alma, a virgin birth. They also try to deny this today, that the word in Isaiah 7.14 about the word virgin is not talking about a virgin in the strictest sense of the world, word at all, but it is a woman or a young girl, a nara. It's another word, Hebrew word that they use uh, for this thing about Messiah. was just a young girl, and it's talking about the days of Hezekiah and, and reaching out and the birth of that child. But in Isaiah 7.14, that Alma is a virgin-born person, and God said he would send the Messiah through an Alma. It's the seed of the woman of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so therefore he said it. Here in Isaiah 42 it says, through Israel, Mashiach will reach the Gentile populace and through him. And you are evidence of the very fact of what was written here in the word of God that you're here today as many of you are Goy, Gentiles, that have put your faith and trust in him. But you've trusted in the Jewish Messiah to redeem you, to make it possible for you to pass from death to life. And here in Isaiah, he talks about this in 53rd chapter, and he graphically pictures. A lot of times when I go into Jewish homes, I read this particular chapter, and I don't tell them that I'm reading from the Old or the New Testament. And I start reading this chapter, and they say, oh, that's a reference uh, to uh, the, the New Testament. That's the reference to a Christ that died. And then, of course, I say, of course, you know, that's, I read an Old Testament passage, chapter. Oh, then it's not. I'm wrong. Sorry. I made a mistake. But Isaiah 53rd chapter is talking about Israel, the servant, and through Israel, the servant, the Messiah, will come, and he'll be wounded for our transgressions. He'll be bruised for our iniquity. But with his stripes, we are healed. And today, how wonderful it is to realize that through the nation of Israel, God gave salvation to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Through Israel, God gives the Messiah. He's promised it, and it's in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, of how to, and it graphically pictures it. It also shows that uh, in verse Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Notice, all are sinners, and he died for all. Isn't that wonderful to realize the love of God in Christ? The Son 
that he said he had, the sun that started in the creation of the world, that he created it, and he exalts the sun. And Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, sun. In the beginning, he created it. Oh, it's so wonderful to realize God's plan and God's purpose in this. This chapter is very interesting. And one day I was in a rabbi's home and we were talking about this portion of scripture and everything. And he said, no, that's, that's definitely of Israel. I said, well, let's try to put Israel's name in, in this every time we read it. So we started reading it together. And I said, for like Isaiah 53, verse 2, for Israel shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. Verse 3, Israel is despised and rejected of men. Verse 4, surely Israel has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. How could Israel bore our griefs and carry our sorrows when Isaiah chapter 1 we read, from the top of your head to the tip of your toes, there's no soundness but bruises and putrefying sores. And he says, come, let us reason together. Though our sins be as scarlet, he'll wash them whiter than snow. That's not talking about Israel in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. It's through Israel, Mashiach, the anointed one, that'll proclaim salvation to every one of us. And all those who believe can receive that in Christ. And another thing is, it's talking about he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. You know what? During the times of real stress in where they've been scattered in the nations and they didn't take it Say, here I am, do what you do to me. They fought like lions. You see, in this chapter, it's a lamb-like spirit. Israel always fought against those who tried to destroy them. It's a lion spirit. It's graphically different because Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, is talking about a person that will come and procure our salvation, making it possible for, a, for us to plan from death to life. Another interesting thing, and I know i got to close, but Isaiah 53rd chapter, verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. In the Hebrew, the, the word that is there, it is, it is a sacrificial lamb, and his soul will be an offering for sin. And also he will see the, what he will accomplish in dying this cruel, ignominious death for you and for me. It says, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He's going to see the prophet in it and how wonderful it is that going to the cross and dying for us, being lifted up for you and for me. You're the prophet of God because God worked in your heart and you realize that from the scriptures that God did love you. And he died for you. And you've allowed him to come into your heart and your life. And he salvaged you and saved you and made it possible that you pass from death to life. That pleased God. You see, a lot of people think that by their mitzvahs, good deeds, or by charitable ways, or by different types of works, that God will be pleased with that. He is not pleased because he says in Isaiah 64, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're unacceptable before God. There's no way that we can stand and say that we're righteous in our own eyes. That's what we do it. But in God's eyes, we are not righteous. 
were here because of the grace and the mercy of God. And he realized that when he would die on that cross, that we would be. Uh, this would please God, and it's the only thing that pleases God and makes it possible for us to have salvation in Christ. How wonderful to realize what we do have in him. There's many other things to say about it. And the last thing that I will say, two things that I think of right at the moment. One is that in the Talmud, it talks about Messiah coming. And it uses Isaiah, the uh, 53rd chapter. And it uses Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where it says, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And in that text, they're saying that Messiah is an only, only son. That's right, because the Bible says he has a son, and he's lifted him up. And in Isaiah chapter 2, he is the one that we need to recognize him as the anointed one. And we need to homage, worship him, and adore him, and appraise him. And especially of all is the confession of faith in Christ. And so this 53rd chapter, and the Talmud says, Messiah B. Joseph suffers for their sins. He'll die and be resurrected, and he'll be known as Messiah B. David. See, there they have it. God's Messiah to suffer, and then to come again and rule and reign. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And here in the Talmud, so there are bright spots within their teachings that we can show them that Jesus is the way, the only way, and he is the one. When we put our trust in him, we can see the blessing of the Lord and salvation. So I need to close now. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege of being here and sharing from the word of God, and thank thee for the Mashiach who loved us and gave himself for us. He was willing to do God's will, and your will is that not any should perish. Thank thee, Lord, for making it possible by your spirit to touch our hearts and coming into our lives and making the difference. But perchance there's someone here that maybe said they would but never really allowed him to come into his or her heart. We pray that the spirit of God will speak to them today, that they may realize he was lifted up for their sins and making it possible for forgiveness if they'll only trust in you. Thank thee for around your table today, Lord, to remember your body, remember your blood that was shed in order that we may be forgiven. So we worship you today. We adore you. We honor and exalt your holy name. In his name, amen.